Shock Sports Radio starts now. If Jason Tatum did not miss nine games, Jason Tatum would have been the number one pick in this draft. This guy had the knack, the ability to create his own shot. I think Pritchard was asking too much. Danny wasn't willing to give up. And that's just the way it goes. As a GM, your responsibility is to get the best offer out there. Yeah, that's my point, though. I think he's trying to you know, look at his career as a whole and say, I don't want to go 3-9. Welcome to week 44, count it week 44 of Shark Sports Radio. Alongside of me is nobody. It's yours truly, Mark Loisel Jr., a.k.a. Shark, right here in the Ocean State. Uh, thank you all for taking a dive into the tank tonight with me. Um, March is knocking on the doorstep, as we all know, and the annual chaos of the college basketball postseason is about to begin. Plus, we get into Celtics begin the second half. So we will preview that and give you four key points throughout the second half to keep an eye on. As always, you can tune in using your Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and or Spotify app. And please check us out on Twitter at SSR2019 underscore. And as always, on the Shark Sports Radio Facebook page. So let's talk about these Providence College Friars. Yes, I know. Look, I get it. PC lost tonight against UConn, 87 to 69, but it's not the end of the world, people. Uh, there's definitely good things that are happening in the season. You know, obviously, you never want to lose to you know UConn as as a, a rival and um, a former rival too in the Big East. You know, they left the Big East left the Big East uh, for the AAC in years past, but they're back in the Big East and they're strong as you know can be right now. Um, and you know, right now, the way I see it, it's Marquette, Xavier, PC, and um, UConn, and n- in no particular order, obviously. Um, but if you're going to lose, let- let's just get the good news, right? Let's be positive here. The good news is you need to have some kind of silver lining, and that silver lining is Villanova defeated Xavier last night. And what that means for the Friars is they defeated Villanova this past Saturday. So the loss to the Huskies tonight isn't as bad of a loss as it looks. Now, I get it. Obviously, you're always going to point fingers and say, oh, we could have done this better. We could have done that better. You know, I, I believe the Friars are now five and six on the road. You know, can their road record be better than the Big East? Hell yeah. But also the Big East is really, really difficult and it's hard to get wins on the road. And obviously, if you want to be the best, you got to be the best, right? And obviously, with Marquette, it's tough. Xavier was tough. You know, Creighton, tough. And now UConn, tough. Like, St. John's even. They put a dud. They put an absolute dud in Madison Square Garden against St. John's, but they bounced back with a Villanova win. So, you got to kind of take your, you know, your wins with your losses, ebbs and flows. It's a long season, and it's always going to be that way. But let's not get it twisted. You know, they're still ranked 20th in the country right now. You know, I believe right now they're they have a 20 and 8 overall record 
and they're 12 and 5 in the Big East. So, like I said, are there intricacies in the game, different elements that they can do better? Of course. Yes. Defense tonight was atrocious. Rebounding was atrocious. Um, shot selection, early in the shot clock, not good shots. Um, out of bounds, uh, timeouts, you know, out of bound after timeouts. Uh, those plays are disgusting. They're awful to watch. But as you can watch and see, they're they're going to progress as the year, as the season goes by. And the Big East tournament is, you know, March uh, 9th through the 11th. So they, they have plenty of time to get acclimated and they'll probably get a bye. Um, and, you know, maybe they get two buys, wherever works down the stretch here. We got a couple more games left. So let's see what happens there. But collectively, this this team's solid. You know, I, I think people over, overlook the fact that they're young. They're very young. You know, they got Saltmar Bryce Hopkins, who, you know, sitting the bench at Kentucky last year, and now he's a transfer and through the transfer portal, and he's putting out outstanding numbers. Last week, he was the Big East Player of the Week, you know, averaging 19.5, 10.5 rebounds, uh, 19.5 points, 10.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 2.5 steals, 1.5 blocks. That is filling the stat sheet. That's what we call get in buckets as well. Um, and if you look at the combination of Devin Carter, you know, he's another transfer from, from South Carolina, Jared Bynum, Ed Croswell, Noah Locke from Louisville. You know, they really got a solid core and it's hard to like be worried about them moving forward. You know, I think they have a relentless about them. I think they have a clutch gene in them. You know, I think they need the tough games in order to be tough, you know, get tougher, obviously. And that UConn lost tonight. Yeah. Uh, hell yeah, it was a tough loss. It's a tough loss for you know if you're watching and you know 87 to 69. You know that's that's an 18 point victory for the the UConn Huskies when you know PC really you know showed them at the amp as well. So you know it comes with punches. You're gonna get haymakers throughout the season, and obviously this one doesn't you know feel good and obviously tough to swallow. But if you look at PC as a whole this season, you can't get discouraged. And I'll tell you right now, PC, as far as scoring goes, I mean, they're right outside the top 30. You know, they're 79 points per game. So if anything, they got to work on their defense. And, you know, that's speaking a lot about, I think they're ranked 170 range um, in college basketball as far as points, opponents' points per game. And... It's always been, you know, preaching defense with with the Ed Cooley's teams, the toughness, the grittiness, the diving for loose balls. We didn't see that a lot tonight. We didn't see that a lot tonight. Rebounding, multiple efforts. It doesn't take one effort. It takes two and three. And that's the way that they're going to stand out, you know, the rest of the season as long as they can get acclimated defensively and, you know, get the, the out of bounds, you know, plays get going. You know, they have to have some kind of camaraderie with that as well. And it comes with time because they're a young team. But again, a lot of teams are going to make noise. Obviously, the Big East is here. You know, the Big East tournament is upon us. And there's going to be teams that are going to be, you know, wowing you every night. And there's going to be teams that are going to throw up duds every night like Georgetown. But I can honestly say with the young core and yet pretty established team. I mean, if you're telling me, you know, at the start of the season that, you know, couple of games left into the season, you're going to be ranked 20th in the country and you're going to have above, above 500 um, record. Like I'll take that any day of the week, um, you know, in Big East play. So I think if you look at it overall, 
you know, the, the amp is always going to be rocking. L- l- let's just say that for a fact. You know, the Donk, obviously, in the past, the amp is now the future. But Cooley has this team, you know, raring up and, and ready to go for the, the NCAA tournament. Anybody who thinks that the PC Fries is not going to make it to the NCAA tournament is out of their mind. They're going to make it. Um, and even with this UConn loss, again, it's just, you know, would it be nice to add that win to your resume? Hell yeah. On the, on the road, you know, they, they had a lead in the second half and they let it slip by. And, you know, I, I think they had to learn from that. But again, they're a young team. There's a lot of experience in the Big East. And sitting up at the top, there's a ton of experience. Xavier, Marquette, they have a lot of, you know, veteran savvy players. PC, they really just have Bynum and Crosswell, but like Hopkins is young, Devin Carter is young, um, you know, they, Noah Locke is young. They have a lot of young pieces, so let's not get this uh, this road, you know, loss um, twisted. They're they're very good team. Again, they have to have more experience on both ends of the floor and get ready, you know, especially for tournament time. You know, losing to Kansas was was tough last year, and you know you, d- you don't want to face that again. But you know, I think it's just a matter of getting in the right seeds so that you don't have to play you know the tougher teams. You know, I, I think being in the lower bracket of the NCAA, I think they have them at a seven seed right now projected. It, it's not the best seed to be in because you're going to play tough teams in the second round and in the third round, even if you get by the first round. You know, the first round, you're going to be playing tough teams as well. It's the March Madness tournament. Every team is going to be tough. But what I'm saying is the road to possibly get into the Sweet 16 Elite Eight would be easier if you were a higher ranked team. And that's why, you know, looking at it from a big picture, yes, you want to win quality wins on the road so that your ranking can move up. But winning against Villanova and Villanova losing last night to Xavier helps that cause in order for you to stay at bay. So, um, again, PC, a lot to learn from. Obviously, tonight's game, but, you know, moving forward, they really have a good core, and, you know, Ed Cooley's running the show, so, you know, you, you can't really mind that. Um, moving on, I want to get into the Celtics. Um, the Celtics are going to start their second half of the season, obviously. Jason Tatum winning MVP of the All-Star game. He wanted that. Jalen Brown and him going toe-to-toe. I think Jalen Brown had... 35 points and uh, Tatum had 55. So there's a lot of, you know, back and forth in that game. Everybody's wild, and, you know, about it. And, you know, for all the haters that don't like the All-Star game, don't watch it. If you're not going to enjoy it, don't watch it. I don't know what to tell you. Don't complain about it because you don't like you don't like the game. Just don't watch it. Um, but as far as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown goes, this is – this is a big aspect in my eyes. There's four key points in the second half that I want to bring up. Let's not worry about Jalen Brown's contract currently, okay? Let him cook. And the more you let him cook, the more he gets onto the third All-NBA team or second All-NBA team and will get that max contract extension, I believe, is five years for you know $260 million. So I, I look at it this way. If he does well throughout the second half of the season, that's great. There's no question marks. At the end of the year, you can go to him and hand him that contract extension. And then if he says no, that's when you worry about trading him. And that's when you worry about his value. But right now, currently constituted, let's not bitch and moan and say, oh, he doesn't know if he wants to be here. Oh, 
you know, don't give him a contract if he doesn't want, like, you don't know. You don't know you can't negotiate. He is not due for that max contract unless he makes third NBA team, second NBA team, or first all NBA team. So looking at Jalen Brown's future, let's worry about the second half of the season because if he does well and if he continues his you know projection and if he does continue to dominate in the playoffs, which he did in the NBA Finals, Jason Tatum didn't, you can say with a fact you can hand him that contract, say sign here. If he doesn't want to sign, that's when you know he wants out. So focus on the present and let Jalen Brown cook. Let him do his job and figure out what he, what value he brings to the table. We've seen it in the first half of the season. He's been great. I think he's averaging close to like 25 points per game. And, you know, he's handling himself on the defensive side of the ball. He got whacked in the face, obviously, by Jason Tatum, but he's back, ready to go. So um, on the Jason Tatum side of things, second point here, you got to hope he continues to develop his maturity-wise on the court. You know, if you look at in-game situations, you know, obviously in the clutch, does does he get mad if he doesn't get the ball late in the games? Does he get mad, you know, when a, a official doesn't call the right, you know, the right foul? I saw it, um, you know, in recent games where he waited for, you know, a timeout to be to be had before he went over to the ref and kind of, you know, negotiated and talked to him. You got to sell it sometimes, right? You got to say, hey, watch out for this. If this guy's going to do this to me, you got to keep an eye out for this guy doing this to me as well. So if you're going to call a foul here, you got to call a foul here. So it's all about, like, and that's the way the game is. And you know, a lot of people don't like it that way, but that's the way it is. And you have to adapt to that surrounding. So if all if stars are going to try to get the calls, you know, in crunch time or down the stretch or what, whatever it is, like in, even in the middle of a third quarter, like you got to figure out a way, you know, to ultimately make your name known and get to the free throw line. And that way you can, you know, count the easy basket. So, um, again, looking at the maturity wise of, of, you know, Jason Tatum. We know what he's capable of doing. He's putting up MVP numbers this year. He is incredible, you know, defensively now too. He's a two-way player. No, no way, no one more uh, one-way player. What they need to do, and I think Jalen Brown needs to do as well, is the fact that turnovers play a major role down the stretch. Whether that's you know dribbling the ball off his foot, or you know I, the the most prominent thing that I hate. When Jalen Brown does is when he drives to the basket, he's always looking to pass the ball off in the air. You know, it's like, dude, you can you can keep your dribble, you know, baseline. You don't have to go in the air and then try to pass the ball because a lot of times what happens is you give the defense time to set. When you go up in the air and you're looking for somebody somebody to cut, or you're looking for somebody to stay in the corner, or if you're looking for somebody up top of the key, there's no way there's no way the defense isn't going to react because they have plenty of time to react if you go in the air. If you don't go in the air and you keep your dribble down baseline, that gives you the ability one to stay alive and shoot the ball and drive to the hoop, or two look for the cutters on the dribble rather than staying in the air. So. This this is this goes for Jason Tatum as well, because if you saw it in the NBA Finals or if you saw it against you know the Miami Heat series last year, Jason Tatum dribbled the ball off his foot, went out of bounds. Um, you know, 
tried to do a little, you know, twist and turn and, you know, set back and lost the ball. Like there's little things inside Jason Tatum's game that he ultimately needs to be more mature at and develop at. But overall, yeah, you can say he's a top three, top five player in the NBA without a doubt right now. You know, he can be in the top five MVP voting. But when it comes down to him, you know, utilizing, you know, the dribble and utilizing his step back move in a conscious way and also allowing himself to be the big presence on the floor and then let Jason T- uh, Jalen Brown and Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon and Rob Williams cook on the side. It allows Jason Tatum to be that bo- much big of a threat, you know, whether that's from three or whether that's, you know, driving to the hoop, you know, watching guys to cut the ball or throw, throw up the ball to, to Rob Williams, you know, Marcus Smart as well. Marcus Smart, you know he's obviously out right now, but he's going to come back. So, I look at I look at Jason Tatum's maturity and development a very big key. You know, going down the stretch into the season, and I think he's got to start right away. Um, speaking of starting right away, let, let's talk about Coach Missoula. You know, congratulations to the Johnston native. Uh, hats off to him. You know, obviously everybody knows he went to Bishop Hendrickson around here. Uh, you know, in Warwick, Rhode Island. But Joe Missoula, you know. Having the title removed as an interim is such a big key. And I, I want to get into definitely Brad Stevens as he spoke, you know, about discussing why he chose that timing, you know, to remove that title from Joe Mazzula. And he said the idea of going into the playoffs, we're, we're going to be in battles, right? And it's going to be really tough. Um, the hardest thing to do would be going into the playoffs looking over your shoulder. And, and by looking over her, your shoulder, he means having that potential like burden or like obstacle that you need to face to, to prove, you know, to the coaches in the front office that you can do the job, especially in the playoffs. Whereas in the regular season, you know, they're ha- they're half game up against Milwaukee and they're having a, a terrific season. I think it was 41 wins on the season, you know, and Joe Mazzulla is representing, you know, the, um, you know, the East in, in the all-star game. You know, it's a very, you know, a huge accolade, especially for a rookie coach. You know, and I, I think Ime Yudoka, you know, obviously with him out now, you know, Jason Tam said it, he, you know, definitely had a good, and I'm paraphrasing, but he, you know, said it to media where he had, you know, a great relationship with Ime. He loved Ime. Ime was his favorite coach that he ever played for. Um, but he understands the circumstances and he knows that, like, he has a great relationship with, with Joe Mazzulla, too. So, you know, I think Jason Tatum and possibly Jalen Brown had a big effect, you know, in Brad Stevens removing that interim tag on Joe Mazzulla. So um, I think that was key. I think obviously Joe Mazzulla has a lot to learn, um, you know, in game situations. You know, obviously everybody talks about when teams go on runs, you don't want to use timeouts. And that's, you know, Joe's style. Um, but Joe has the ability, um, you know, to operate and, and be a, a player-friendly coach. You know, he knows how to make the guys thrive. You know, he puts them into the great successes. If you look, you want to watch great basketball. Oh, my goodness. The first half of basketball was incredible. It's not only from a ball movement standpoint. If you're a big, like, you know, basketball fiend, the number one thing you can watch is off the ball movement. Off the ball movement has been terrific. You can see one screen, two screen, the second screen, third screen, fourth screen. They're setting screens on top of the ball. 
on top uh, off of the ball. Like they're setting screens really everywhere and they're trying to get the best shot. But the first shot isn't always the best shot. And they're realizing it this year, you know, with Sam Hauser in the corner, you know, Grant Williams in the corner. Those guys are, you know, 35 to 40 percent from three right now. Then you add, um, you know, a lot of different pieces, you know, w- within the system, you know, whether that's with Derek White, whether that's with Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Muscala's now in, in the mix. And even Blake Griffin, hats off to Blake Griffin. He's been playing extremely well, and he knows his role in the team, which I, I think he didn't realize it in Brooklyn, right? So I, I think, you know, Joe has the right pieces, and it's going to come to – I want to bring this up too. This is part of, you know, the the, the point that I'm trying to make with Joe Mazzulla is you're going to have an eight- to nine-man rotation at the end of the year, you know, going into the playoffs. What do you do with that eight-, nine-man rotation? Do you Do you act like, you know – does Sam Hauser, you know, go in for Grant Williams when he's not feeling hot? Or, you know, does, I don't know, Peyton Pritchett come in when Derek White, you know, makes a turnover? Like, there's going to be a lot of in-game situations that's going to be a learning experience for Joe Mazzula. You know, whether we like it or not, we're going to be watching. And, you know, I think it's going to be key for, for Joe to really get acclimated early on in the second half of the season. So he understands, like, all right, in this situation – Maybe I should do this. You know, maybe offense, defense, whatever it is. I don't like that because I think in the NBA, you you should be able to play multiple positions. And I think that's, you know, one knock on Peyton Purchase. Why he doesn't get time is because he's not good defensively. Um, you know, he try, he hustles, but at the same time, it's like it's really sometimes a mismatch with him. So um, if he can, you know, bolster up that defensive assignment and he has Derek White looking, you know, looking at him and Marcus Smart and Malcolm Brogdon, you know, it makes it a lot easier. And then like uh, real quick with Brad Stevens, I mean, hats off to him getting Malcolm Brogdon. I, I was I was saying it. I was like wanting him the entire, you know, past two to three off seasons. I said, go get Malcolm Brogdon. He's a, you know, 50, 40, 90 guy. Um, and he's going to get you where you need to be. And he's going to complement that perfectly. He's the Drew Holiday of this team. You know, at the end of the day, he could be even better than Drew. But um, Drew's playing outstanding with Milwaukee. So, um, but yeah, th- that's what I have with Joe Mazzulla. And then l- let's let's make sure that, you know, I guess Celtics know that Giannis is out for quite some time. I, I don't think he's going to miss like a significant amount of time, but he's going to miss maybe a month maybe two weeks, whatever, whatever it may be. They haven't said yet, but he has a, that wrist issue. And like I said, the Celtics are a half a game, you know, up on the Bucks in the uh, East Conference. So if you look at it from, you know, a second half standpoint, why not take advantage of Giannis being out and trying to grab some games while he's out? And the biggest thing too is Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Rob Williams, Marcus Smart, Al Horford, all those guys did not play in Milwaukee, you know, during the the second last of the game, second um the last the second last of the game in in the first half of the season when they played Milwaukee Bucks in Milwaukee, none of those guys played. So, I look at that as like, you know, that's one to one. We beat them in in Boston, right? And then, you know, we go to Milwaukee and lose, but there's the third game. And you don't want the third game to be, you know, the ultimate tiebreaker. Obviously, like when it comes down to it, Milwaukee's still going to be competitive without Giannis. But if you go in with the mindset of saying, okay, 
you know, Giannis is going to be out for, you know, like I said, call it two weeks to a month. Why not take advantage of games while he's out and, you know, try to tally up some of those wins. And that way, when that third game comes around, when you're playing Milwaukee, you're not putting all the weight on your shoulders to, you know, win that victory. So I think that's key. Um, you know, take advantage of Giannis's absence. So um, let's see how long he's out for. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's definitely, um, you know, something to take advantage of. So another thing to take advantage of, uh, another point is the Celtics have, you know, a decently favorable matchup in March. So, like, they're playing, you know, some of the, the Knicks, the Detroits, the Orlandos. I know they have a tough time against Orlando, but, you know, you just look at it from top to bottom. There's teams that are in the mix in the West, in the East, but the Celtics are the best team in the NBA right now. So, why not take advantage of, you know, whether that's below 500 teams or, you know, a little bit above 500 teams, you can find a way to win those games and again, it becomes a part of the honest absence. So, you know, why not take advantage? And overtime games, they got to be better. Overtime games, one, they shouldn't even go to overtime, right? Obviously. But they're three, three, of five, three out of five, sorry, three and five in overtime. So out of those eight games, they've only had three wins, which is crazy to me. But ultimately, what they need to do is find a way and like, don't make errors down the stretch. You know, I, I look at some of these games, and I'm like, oh, if they just did this better, or, you know, if they didn't turn over the ball here, or if they made their free throws down the stretch, like they win those games. So I, I think like just tighten up the knots and, you know, making this, you know, machine run well with, with Missoula running the show is very, very key. And I can see, you know, Joe Missoula, you know, developing and improving throughout the course of the season. But again, that that happens with you know not waiting you know forever to call timeouts when you know teams go on runs. That that also means like when you know Grant Williams loses the dribble, and I know it's a small sample size, but you know basketball one on one, if it's 10, 11 seconds on the the clock, you know in the fourth quarter, and your guy loses the dribble, the 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 like the prominent thing to do is to call a timeout there to save your team and reset, you know, put something else like side out, put something else on the floor. You know, you don't have to rush, you know, you have three timeouts to use. So if anything, I, I agree with the timeout situation. I know it's, it's, it's all over Boston media. It's all over, you know, the nation media, national media where they feel like Joe Mazzula doesn't call timeouts in the right ways. I, I agree with it. You know, I just question sometimes why he's doing that. And I I appreciate, you know, the guy is learning, you know, from Joe Mazzula through those situations where, you know, Joe says, all right, let's get through this. Let's not use a timeout. Let's get through this run and let's develop a run on our own. We all know basketball is a game of runs, right? But you can't let that run get to that extent. And then, you know, at the end of the game, you know, run into that, situation where Grant Williams or somebody, Rob Williams, whoever it is, is dribbling the ball and the ball goes off their foot and then they pick it up and there's five seconds left. So get into, you know, sets faster too. I I do honestly think sometimes, you know, when I look at Missoula, you know, down the stretch and he's pointing at Tatum and he's pointing at Jalen, you know, to do their thing. And, you know, 
look at the time in the shot clock. Look at the time in the the you know the game clock in general. They're running a play with like five, four or five seconds left, and you know we all know that they love to go two for one you know type of opportunity. Um, you know, with 32 seconds left in the game and 24 seconds on the shot clock, they're throwing up a shot so they can get the ball again. But that's sh- like it shouldn't get to that point. And also, like if you're gonna have that urgency with 32 on the shot clock, I mean 32 on the game clock, 24 seconds on the shot clock, you should also have that urgency with you know five to f- four or five seconds left. Like you don't have to hit a buzzer beater every freaking time. And also, you don't need to go for three every time. I see that often. Um, and I think, you know, through those, those five losses, if you were to point at it, the shot selection down the stretch was not good, you know? And I think if you build like a good game plan, you know, going into the fourth and, you know, mentioning, Hey, if it gets close, we're going to do this. Like the guys have it in their head right from the get go. You don't have to like remind them down the stretch, like, Hey, we should run this play. No, you already have that at hand. You're, 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 like know what you're going to do as well you know but obviously like if the game's close you know two minutes left in the game and you know it's possibly or call a minute in the game and it's a tie game and if it's going in overtime you got to utilize timeouts if you got three on the board and you haven't used them I mean I think that's a lack of awareness and maybe it's just the Missoula style style playing but if there's one weakness a part of his you know coaching um duties and aspect is it's just not utilizing timeouts correctly but you know who am I to say he was the all-star coach so I mean he's doing something right obviously but I just wish they would tighten up those screws a little bit and the reason why is the playoffs you know the finals those times matter those those games are going to come up and you know three and five on the year in overtime is not a good look if you're going to have you know game seven in the garden and with you know 30 seconds left in the game what do you do you know that's why you prepare that's why you have the regular season or to prepare and be proactive about those situations so you can draw up the perfect play and perfect opportunity for these guys to thrive so um i i think ultimately the celtics have a really good thing going on obviously they're the best team in the nba right now you know denver nuggets are in the west celtics are in the east Nobody knows what's going to happen to Phoenix. You know, obviously Phoenix gets Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker, and DeAndre, and, you know, they're, they're doing well. But at the same time, you know, roster-wise, they're doing well. They still got to play games. And I think Kevin Durant comes back on Sunday, as um, Shams uh, reported. So I look at the Celtics as a whole lot to learn um, in the second half. Again, let Jalen Brown cook. Let Jason Tatum develop. Worry about the contract situation with Jalen Brown, you know, in the offseason. Like I said, if he makes first team, second team, third team, he is then eligible to get that max contract extension. Otherwise, shut up because he's like, you can't talk about contracts midseason one and you can't ask him, hey, if we get the max contract extension, would you sign? Like, that's not that's not fair to him. Like his time will come when it comes. And again, Jason Tatum needs to develop maturity-wise and improve, you know, in-game aspects. And I love the fact that Brad Stevens came out and said Joe Mazzulla is going to be the head coach of the Celtics. No more interim tag. And, um, you know, I want to definitely see, like I said, just Mazzulla tighten up the screws on the, you know, in-game, you know, plays, out-of-bound plays, timeout usage, 
Like, I think that's very, very important. And again, win close games. The Celtics have got to win close games in order for them to be successful. Not only down the stretch, who knows? Milwaukee could flat out play well without Giannis. And then your, your game playing for, for Giannis in the third third game, the matchup, that can you know definitely be the deciding factor of having a number one seed versus a number two seed and then having home court advantage throughout the playoffs. So I think it ultimately comes down to the Celtics, you know, tightening up the screws down the stretch in this regular season going into the playoffs. So next week, we're going to talk about the Red Sox. You know, they're obviously in spring training. They got a lot of question marks. We all know what happened to Bogarts. We all know what happened to Nathan Navaldi, J.D. Martinez. You know, it's time to move on. We got to right the ship and we got to figure out what their you know tendencies will be in the 2023 season. And then also we will get into um, NFL free agency, the, the NFL free NFL free agency period starts, I believe, March 15th. So uh, we got some time, um, but we'll get into it next week. I appreciate everyone tuning in. We'll uh, see you next week.